Uh, this morning, I would invite you to grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen for you to read along. What I would like to do just on the front end is to read Psalm 49. Uh, when Pastor Mike reached out to me, I just want you to hear a little bit of the backstory here. Uh, he said, hey, um, if you could fill in, that would be great. Uh, I was very excited to do that. I, I see Mike as a trustworthy brother who handles the scriptures incredibly well. So I want you to hear that from me. I watched a few of his prior sermons, but before I watched some of his prior sermons, I'd already landed on this text. Uh, I've filled in for some other churches within our district, and for a period of time, I've just been going through the Psalms, and this is just where I'm at as I prepare and and jump in. A lot of times when you jump into a local body, it's hard to think, where should I go if they don't have a text for me? And so this is what I want you to hear from me this morning, is that we're going to go where the Spirit has guided us to go. Just based off of uh, going through the Psalms, chapter by chapter, I watched some of Pastor Mike's prior sermons, and I was pleasantly surprised at some of the overlap of themes. You guys are in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You just heard quite a bit about uh, giving generously. Uh, does not matter if you're poor, if you're rich. It's, it's from the heart. It's an act of worship. And as we jump into Psalm 49 this morning, you're going to hear some, some language about money and possessions, and trust, and reliance. And I, I pray that it's a blessing to you this morning. I also pray that it challenges you through the power of the Spirit. Let's read Psalm 49 together. Here's what it says, starting in 49, before verse 1, to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Verse 1. Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb, I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble, when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations. Though they called lands by their own names, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Selah. Like sheep, they are appointed for shawl, death, 
shall be their shepherd and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed and shawl with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of shawl for he will receive me. Selah. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praised when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. This ends the reading of God's word this morning. There is a picture on the screen for you. It is uh, some of my friends. Uh, When we moved from Erie, we, we now live in Cambridge Springs. Uh, I have this odd fascination with bees, mostly because I'm terrified of them. Uh, I grew up very fearful of these little critters, as many of you probably have. Uh, there's some movies that are out there that did not help us, uh, like Attack of the Killer Bees, Swarm. Uh, there's like these crazy movies where like the bees are bent on destroying mankind. Uh, I've learned quite a bit in beekeeping, and and I actually have joked with our local DS and some of our regional leaders about all of the wonderful sermon illustrations that come from beekeeping. So here's one for you this morning. Uh, I don't know if you can see. Hopefully, you can identify the queen that's pretty much in the middle of this of this screen. Do you see? She's much larger than the other bees. Uh, her abdomen extends well beyond her wings. And I show you this because there's something that happens in the bee world is that bees can be very fickle. Do we have any beekeepers in here, by the way? This may all be news to you. Okay, that's all right. This is learning. We're going to learn a lot of things today. Bees are very fickle. They can determine in their mind that they just don't like the queen. And it can be for a lot of various reasons that they decide, we got to get rid of her. They do it very stealthily as well. And sometimes not so very stealth. Uh, they do it kind of aggressively. Um, there's this thing, it's called bawling. If they didn't like the queen, all the bees would jump on her and create a actual bee ball to which the center of the ball becomes so hot that it kills her. It's called bawling. That's crazy stuff. That's some crazy stuff right there. The other thing they do, this is the real sneaky like stealth way, and this one bothers me, but as a beekeeper, I have to keep my eyes open for this. There's something called supersedure. Okay, there's, there's a cell that they make. These bees create this tiny little wax pocket that looks like a peanut, and they sometimes will hide it on a bee frame. You can see all the honeycomb that's there, but they'll hide it on there, and, and it, it is sometimes easy to identify, but sometimes they like to make it harder to identify. And what they do, think about this, this is really messed up. 
The queen is the only one that can lay an egg. They will take one of her eggs out of the comb. They will sneak it on over to this super seizure cell, tuck it in there, give it some special food, and raise a new queen. They'll raise a new queen, and when that queen hatches, that queen will go kill the present queen. They'll usurp her. They'll get rid of her. They'll supersede her. They think that their plan is better than the queen's plan. Now, this illustration, we're not talking about queens this morning, uh, but there is a biblical historical narrative that we need to look at to help us understand Psalm 49. And it starts right in the opening of this chapter. It says, this is to the choir master. It is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, sometimes when we go to the Psalms, we go there and maybe you are drawn to it just like I am. Uh, I love the raw nature of the Psalms. I love the uh, emotions that come to the surface. Like you can see when the psalmist writes in such a way that he is pleading before God to do what only he can do, or he has questions. And so they're presented in the Psalms and we are drawn to these kinds of verses because it's our condition. We, we too cry out to God. We too have questions or we, we don't understand why certain things are happening. And, and that's all laid out in the Psalms. But this opening to this chapter is hugely important for us today. If you're a note taker or if you're a researcher, or you're somebody that likes to, to read the backstory, I'm going to throw a couple verses at you, a couple chapters that you can go back and read for yourselves. These chapters, specifically Numbers 16, you can write that down, Numbers 16. You can also check out Numbers 26. These are chapters that help us understand who these sons of Korah are. I think it's incredibly important for us to know who writes this psalm. The language that we read is very particular to their personal experience, to something they encountered, something they heard growing up, something that they maybe lived. And so we need to understand that first as we dive in to this text. This is what it says in Numbers 16. Korah, the father of these sons, he's the man that... uh, Maybe this will jog your memory a little bit. He was swallowed up by the earth with 250 other men. Here's what happens. In number 16, it says this. He goes to Moses. This is verse 2. They rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel. Number 16, chapter 16, verse 2. There's 250 of them all together. And these are respected men of Israel. And they all go before him and they say, now you've done it. This is the paraphrase version. Now you've done it. You've gone too far. It actually says in the text, it says, you have gone too far for all the congregation is holy. Every one of them and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Let me help put this in the context here. Korah is of the tribe, the Kohathites. 
there's a division of the Levites. The Levites in Israel are those who have been given by God the responsibility to take care of the tabernacle and worship. The high priests are only the descendants of Aaron. But these Kohathites, they have a very particular job. And this is what Korah, this is the job he would take part in, and even potentially his sons. Their role when moving the tabernacle was to do just that. They were in charge of the tent of meeting, the very place where the presence of God resides in the tabernacle. They were to pack it up and carefully move it. If you, if you're an Old Testament person and you remember these narratives, they could not touch anything. Are you talking, like, this is an impossible, this seems like an impossible task. You're not allowed to touch anything, but you have to move it every time we relocate in the wilderness. So maybe, maybe some of us could understand when Korah comes to Moses thinking, you got it easy. I got it hard. Like Aaron and his, you know, his children, they get to just kind of go in and worship and be in the presence of God. We have to move stuff that we can't even touch. And if we touch it, we die. Like this is hard. And this is the other thing. Out of the three divisions of the Levites, the other two groups, they are the, uh, the Gershonites and the Merarites. They get to use carts. They can pack their stuff up. They can touch it. They fold it up. They put it in the cart and they just take it to where they need to go. And they can kind of stroll along pulling their carts. Then you got these Kohathites that are using poles. They have to wrap everything. They can't really touch it because it's pending their death if they do. It just seems unreasonable. Korah comes to this place in his life where he's ready to usurp those God has placed in authority over him. He's ready to create the supersedure cell. He has a better plan than what God's plan is. He's going to do it however he has to. And the way that he does it, uh, you know, I said that b-balling. He grabs a bunch of other people to go for the attack. He's, he brings a group with him. He convinces them that, hey, my plan, my plan is better than God's plan. We deserve more. We've had it too rough. It's been too hard on us. We deserve something better. We should have their role. Maybe we could switch for a while. Maybe they could try to carry stuff with poles and, you know, not touch it. So if you read in number 16, that is what happens. Moses tells him, bring all of your people, come before the congregation, come before everyone, burn your incense, and we will let God decide who is his, who God wants to be in leadership to oversee the people. We'll let God decide. And in these verses, they are swallowed up. The ground opens and God displays, displays fully his power and his righteousness and his holiness against the rebellion that just occurred. I'm sure the people trembled. I'm sure people took note that rebellion can lead to death. 
So what it says in Numbers 26, which is really helpful for us, because you're probably wondering, like, there's 250 people with Korah, but where are these sons of Korah from? The end, uh, or chapter 26, verse 11, it says this, but the sons of Korah did not die. The Lord was gracious and he spared them. This was their experience. Their, Their father had been swallowed up. Because of his rebellion and his leading others into rebellion. These sons of Korah, they, they have written actually 11 of the Psalms. I won't give all of those to you today, but if you Facebook me or shoot me an email, I can give you all those Psalms that they've written. And the language in these Psalms, you're going to hear particular language and references that sounds like these are people who realize rebellion equals death. And they realize how necessary it is to trust the living God. They have seen some things and experienced some things that have led them to this place where when they write, some of their prior experiences coming out on the pages. So here here we are, Psalm 49. Let's look at our first point together. And the first point is this. The Father gives understanding from the Word. We see it all through the New Testament text that the Word is how we receive life. The Word is what opens our eyes to understand who God is and His good plan through Jesus Christ on the cross. The Word illuminates we, we gather understanding from the word, but look how this psalm in particular starts at the very beginning. Verse one, hear this, all peoples. Now, this is, this is interesting. This is interesting because this word, hear this, there's one other time we have this particular word and it's used and it's in Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hopefully that rings a bell to you. It's the Shema. It's the call to Israel. This is a call to Israel to have faith in the one true God. Teach your children. Pass it to the next generation. Hear this, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. This is the same language that's being used here in Psalm 46, but this is unique because this isn't to Israel. This is to a larger group of people. And I think we have to ask ourselves a question. Why is it not just to Israel that the sons of Korah are crying out and saying, hear me now, everyone, everyone that can hear me, all the inhabitants of the earth, hear my words, hear these truths. As much as the Old Testament is the narrative of God using Israel. And it is. It's aimed and projected towards Christ. It all aims at Him. All through the Old Testament, God gives us glimpses of His heart for all nations. We see it in some of His promises. Like, God is going to give as many descendants as the stars, but why? To be a blessing to all nations. There's these glimpses of God's heart for the world. And I think we see it here that the sons of Korah are expressing to all peoples, we want you to have understanding 
from these words. We want you to know the one true living God. And they give this diverse and broad brush stroke. You can see it not just in, in verse one, give ear all inhabitants of the earth. Then it goes both low and high, rich and poor together. This is spanning everyone. Everyone needs to hear the good news that comes from God through Jesus Christ. So what exactly is also, what, what do we have that's presented here in these opening verses? Well, we do have the question that is presented to us. And this is a, a very interesting question. I don't know if it is to you or not. But the question is this. Verse 5, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Now, it's, it's very possible that they are talking about earthly riches. I mean, that's, it's highly likely that they're talking about earthly riches. There are many riches beyond earthly riches. As believers, we're very aware of that. Um, that you can be really wealthy with material possessions. Many of you, you are rich in wisdom. Like God is, has so blessed you and you're wise and you have discernment. Uh, many of you, you are rich in family and friends. There's all these different ways we can be rich. This really is talking about the dilemma is this. Let's boil the, the dilemma down. Why in the world... Would a heathen or somebody that's against God prosper? This feels out of whack. That's kind of the, the question that's being proposed here is there's people that trust in their wealth and they are doing, they are flourishing. Everything appears right for them. It looks like everything falls into place for them. That bothers me. I think that is generally what they're proposing here is that Sometimes when we look at the world, think about 2021 right now as we sit, when, when we look at our world, we think things are a little out of balance here with COVID, with political parties, with world powers. Feels like things are out of whack. Why could they flourish and why could these things prosper? Why are they present? This does bother me. But here's, here's what we need to settle on, uh, this morning. We must go to the word for understanding. Even as we look at our world and things seem out of whack, just like it did to the sons of Korah, things were out of place. We must go to the word. And this is what it says in Proverbs 9, 9 through 10. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. We must go to the word to gain this understanding for how to navigate through these difficult circumstances in life. And you wonder, like, is that what's going on? With Korah, when he, when he is before Moses, he thinks things are out of whack, except this is the problem. Korah doesn't go to God to sort this out. 
He doesn't go to Moses and say, let's, let's pray about this. Let's sort this out. Can we talk in private? Can we, I feel like things are out of whack, out of, he, he decides to do it in his own strength. He trusted his own intelligence and his own ideas and he, and he led this rebellion. Here's our next point for this morning. The next one is this. Christ offers life through the word. Verse 7 through 13, they are the heart, I believe, the heart of this chapter because we are presented with this idea. We're presented that truly no man can ransom another. Do you know what this tells me? It even says that, that the cost is too high. This is what it tells me. It tells me that you are so incredibly valuable. You have worth because you have been made in the image of God. No one could ever pay for your life properly. It seems like that would be difficult. I think, think about all the atrocities that have occurred in our world. And, and we've heard the chatter of this even in our society. Retributions. Like pay, payback, right? Like let's, let's pay the ransom. This is the idea here in this text. A ransom must be paid. And it's too costly for us, even for one person. Think about all of the atrocities that we have experienced, not just in our nation, but around the world. We're talking slavery and, and, and human trafficking and all of these things, wars. And, uh, there's just, there's a lot. How do you put, how do you put a, financial number on that. Can you? Every human life is valuable. You can see in verse 13, it says this, there are people who take a path that will lead them to this shoal, this pit, and this path is because they have foolish confidence. They do not trust in the one true God. They're relying on themselves. They have this self-reliance, this self-dependence, thinking that their way is higher than his way. And, and we know that's not the case. We know that God's way is so much higher than ours. We're desperate for him, for his strength to navigate us through this idea that a ransom would be very costly. Well, guess what? It may be costly, but it was fully paid in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. We're not just talking one person's life paid for by Jesus's blood. We're talking many, all whom God calls to himself have been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Our sin is costly. Rebellion is costly against the living God, just like it was for Korah and the 250 others that went with him into the pit. Do you catch that language? They were swallowed up by the pit. They were confident in themselves. Their rebellion led to their demise. Your rebellion will lead to your demise if you are not in Jesus Christ. Your sin is costly. There is only one who can save you. There's only one who can ransom you. This is what it says in 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, 
Not with perishable things such as silver and gold. There's not enough silver and gold in this world to pay for the ransom. But this is what the ransom was paid with. Here it is. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, you were once in rebellion against the living God. You thought you had a better way to do it. When you came to Christ, when you confessed him as Lord and Savior, the ransom was fully paid at the cross of Jesus. Look at verse 14. This is, this is a hard truth. And if you're not following after Jesus this morning, I want you to perk up for just a minute. Like sheep, they are appointed for shawl. Death shall be their shepherd. You will have a shepherd. It can be Christ or it can be death. Think about the the stark contrast between the two here. We're told that Jesus is the good shepherd. He says this in John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What does death do? It takes yours. Completely opposite. Look at what the shepherd does in Isaiah 40, 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with him. He leads. He cares. He protects. What does, what does this shepherd of death do? He destroys. He steals. He wants to take from you. The sons of Korah, inspired by the Spirit as they pen these words, it's giving us a glimpse of this gospel narrative of how costly sin is, but how good God's grace and mercy is through Jesus Christ. What should be ours going to the pit, what should be ours has been ransomed for. And we get to live for eternity with God because of this grace. So let's ask the, the quick question here. Why were the sons of Korah saved? Why, why are they getting to write in the Psalms? Scholars believe that maybe they were too young. Maybe they were too innocent to be swallowed up. A couple other people said, God in his goodness has preserved the line of Korah, so that you and I could have the very words penned in front of us to see his goodness and the cost, the costliness of rebellion, but the goodness of his grace to extend to us a paid ransom through his son, Jesus. That even in the Old Testament, God in his goodness has taken the initiative to show us that he will rescue us from the pit. He will not abandon us to our own ways. He's not going to leave us orphaned without knowing that we have a good father who sits on the throne. Let's go to our third point from this text. Here's the third point. It's the Holy Spirit casts out fear by the word. And if you were tracking on these points, you should have seen the father. You should have seen the son. You should have seen the Holy Spirit and all of them as it, as it's linked to the word of God. And, and so here, This is what I want you to hear. Korah brought 250 people into his demise and destruction. 
He invited other people, just as this text says, that they will applaud you in what you do. A, a worldly view of chasing after you and what you want, like, I'm going I'm to chase after my heart. I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to just, I'm going to go after it. It's a very, a very worldly view. Just listen to your heart. People will applaud that. They'll say, yeah, you do you. That's great. Yeah, you know, chase after those things that are not of the Lord. That's what, that's what Korah did. He, he chased after it and then he took people with him. This is what we need more than anything. The Holy Spirit casts out fear by the word. We need to invite others to join us in holding fast to the truth of the word. You need to be in good gospel community with other people who are not going to applaud your own intelligence or your own self-reliance, but you need people that will say, what does the word say? Can I take you back to, to the scriptures? What about this? How, how, do you, how do you correlate that with your life? When we look at this text, when we look at what Jesus says, what does that mean to you in, in this decision you're making? We so desperately need people to join in with us to holding fast to the truth of the word of God. This is what Proverbs 29 tells us. 29, 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This is what it says in Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous hand. The question that we're proposed with is, why would we be fearful when we see things out of whack in our world? The question at the beginning of this chapter is, why should I fear in times of trouble? Brothers and sisters, if you are a follower of Jesus, why should you fear at all? And the sons of Korah are presenting this to us. This is a question that they're hoping you can draw the conclusion here. If you have faith in the living God, if you trust in the living God, if you rely on the living God more than your own understanding, more than your wealth, more than your status in this world, if you trust in him, why do you fear? What do you have to fear? Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Jesus says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, your, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Brothers and sisters, why, why are you fearful? Is it misplaced trust? Is it because you've learned to rely on yourself? Is it because you're not in community with others who are aiming you constantly back to the word? Maybe that's, maybe that's one of the underlying places. You don't have understanding because you're not going to the word of God. If you're desperate to hear from the Lord, open up his word. You can receive understanding from this word because the father is good to us. This word is what brings us life. We see it in the life and death 
and resurrection of Jesus and know that the Holy Spirit will cast out fear. He will use these words to give us strength, to make us bold, to walk together to the honor of his name. Let's pray. Father, you have been so good to us to show us through your word how you you are everything that we need. You have saved us from the pit. You have done it through Jesus. Praise your name. The ransom has been paid. Oh God, if there's anyone here, if there's anyone whose shepherd is death, would their eyes be opened today? Would they turn to you, our living hope, Jesus Christ? We pray that in your name.